Immediately he arose. Immediately he was made whole. I'm glad that salvation happens in a moment of time. And though it was uh, the plan of it is from ages ago, yet in a moment of time, an individual is made new, made whole by the blood of Christ. The moment he trusts Christ, or she trusts Christ as their Savior, he makes them whole in that very moment. And I believe that we had a young man made whole in our midst last night. And uh, thank God for that. Amen. And uh, listen, the old time way still works. Just, just keep preaching the truth and God will draw them in. Amen. All right. Well, we're in the book of Leviticus. And uh, so I invite you to turn with me. Uh, this evening, we're going we're gonna to be in Leviticus chapter 8. And then we're also, to, to get started, we're also going to look at Exodus chapter 28. So Leviticus chapter 8 and Exodus chapter 28. We've been looking at this book from the standpoint of fellowship with God. And uh, the, the, the nation of Israel had been delivered from Egyptian bondage, type of salvation, and now the Lord is bringing them into the promised land. And uh, I've heard different things about the promised land. Of course, there's a lot of songs talk about how the promised land is, is heaven, but that's not the promised land, amen. Um, uh, but it's, it's not heaven. And others say, well, the promised land, that was a type of the victorious Christian life. And I, and I always wonder, what does that mean? What does that mean exactly? And, you know, I've, I've just, right now I've been studying, as well as in Leviticus, I've been studying the book of Joshua. You know what I figured out about the promised land? It's just living in God's will. That, that's, the promised land was the will of God for, for His people. And, uh, and so, just living in the will of God. And so, uh, the Lord wanted them to live in His perfect will. But He understood and understands that fallen man and sinful nature needs to be governed by something greater than itself. And so God gave many laws for the children of Israel, even in the promised land, all these laws. And there's a, uh, there's a purpose to all of these things. And the purpose was not so he could control their life. The purpose of his, of his law was so that he could enrich their life. And uh, he wanted to set them apart from the world, but unto himself. Separation, biblical separation, is incomplete if it's only from the world. The goal for, for the Lord is to be in fellowship with us. He wants to walk with us. He wants to commune with us. Now, that's been his goal since day one. And uh, we see that with Adam and Eve in the garden. And so we're looking at uh, Leviticus from a standpoint of fellowship. We saw in chapter 1, verse 1, that the Lord called unto Moses from out of the tabernacle. And, and God, uh, God had given them the instructions of the tabernacle. And he outlined, as we looked at, uh, I believe, last night, or maybe Sunday night, 
all the nights run together to me after a while. But uh, we looked at how God set apart the tabernacle and really set up the tabernacle as a place for him to meet with his people. And the, the special thing, listen, the, the tabernacle to the people, the special part about the tabernacle is that God was there. But, but think about this. What made the tabernacle special to God is that his people, he met his people there. The people made the tabernacle special to God. And God made the tabernacle special to the people. It's all about fellowship. The tabernacle was a vehicle to facilitate fellowship between God and man. They've been delivered from Egyptian bondage, but now he, he's, the Lord is not just happy with just delivering us from Egypt. He wants us to know him. And he wants us to fellowship with him. And that's what the book of Leviticus is all about. In the beginning, God's in the tabernacle. Moses is outside of the tabernacle. He's calling to Moses to come in, but the glory of God had filled the tabernacle in Exodus 40, and Moses could not go in because of the glory of God. Why? God is holy. Man is not. And so the book of Leviticus shows us the way in, the way to fellowship. In Numbers chapter 1, verse 1 says that the Lord spake unto Moses in the tabernacle. So in the beginning of Leviticus, God's in the tabernacle. Moses is outside of the tabernacle. You get to Numbers, God's in the tabernacle, but so is Moses. Leviticus shows us the way in, the way to have fellowship with God. And so last night, we looked at, uh, and, and we looked at also that Leviticus is uh, primarily divided up in three parts. The first part is about the offerings, then the priesthood, and then various laws concerning uh, their life in, in the promised land. And so last night we looked at the offerings. And, uh, and what we saw with the offerings, I'm not going to recap everything, but what we saw is that God preserved the, those offerings for us to read about. And there's, th there's a threefold approach that we need to take, at, uh, take when we look at uh, the offerings and now when we look at the priesthood and when we look at the laws. And the first way we need to look at this is to realize that God gave these as actual laws to an actual people in Israel. And it was guidelines for them to know how to have and to maintain a fellowship with God. And so we need to look at it that way. The second way we need to look at it is that they are a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. So they're a provision for Israel... They're a picture of Jesus Christ. He's pictured in the offerings. We'll see that he's pictured tonight in the priesthood. And then we're also going to see how he is pictured in the law. And so as a provision for Israel, it's a picture for, uh, of Jesus, but then also it's a pattern for us. It shows us how we are to approach God. We see how Israel should approach God, and we see how Christ approached God and God's will, but it also serves as a pattern for us as we approach God. You say, well, I, I didn't think we had to, had to pay attention to the Old Testament because I thought we were not under that law. Well, here's the fact of the matter. God has not changed. The law is a written account of the character of God. How do we know God? We know God by His law. 
and it's the first step in knowing God. And so, and so we, we understand that God hasn't changed. Now, the particulars of how we approach God, the outward manifestations of how we approach God are different than how the Israelites approach God. Say, what do you mean? I mean, I didn't bring a bullock in here tonight to offer as, a, as an offering upon this altar. But that doesn't mean that the, that the principle of sacrificial offering to God upon an altar is outdated. The outward mechanisms may have changed, but the inward heart, God still wants the same. Because it's always been about the heart. Because that, you say, why is it always about the heart? Because that is the, the, the root, the seat of fellowship. Fellowship happens from heart to heart. Now, we, we can, there's, there's, I don't know how many people are here, but as many people as, as are here, there's all these different kinds of tastes and preferences and, uh, and, and practices and um, hobbies and all of that stuff, all outward things that we have differently. But the reason why we're all here tonight is because, I pray, because all of us have a heart that is alike in our relationship with God. We want to know God. We want to fellowship with God. And so we can have fellowship with God even though we're very different personality-wise, even though we have very different tastes, we can still have fellowship with God uh, and, and with one another because fellowship happens on the inside. Now, I know as, as Baptists, we believe fellowship is spelled F-O-O-D. Amen? But uh, there's more to it than just the outward. Amen? And so as we're looking at this, we're seeing, we saw last night, that God required those sacrifices, but that's not what he was really after. There's a difference, we've learned, there's a difference between what God requires and what God desires. He required those sacrifices, but he desired their hearts. And, and that truth still remains. And so as we look at this um, uh, from, the, from the standpoint of fellowship, I pray that our hearts are being drawn closer to the Lord. Now, here we are in, in Leviticus chapter 8. And you've got Leviticus 8, 8, and I did have that and Exodus 28, but then I got preaching my introduction and lost my place. So, <clears throat> you've had lots of time to find these spots, amen? We're going to start in Leviticus chapter 8. I invite you to stand with me if you're able. We'll read here, and then we'll read in Exodus chapter 28. Leviticus chapter 8, verse 1, we'll read down through verse number 5. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take Aaron and his sons with him, and the garments, and the anointing oil, and a bullock for the sin offering, and two rams, and a basket of unleavened bread. And gather thou all the congregation together under the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And Moses did as the Lord commanded him, and the assembly was gathered together under the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. 
And Moses said unto the congregation, This is the thing which the Lord commanded to be done. So he's saying we're about to fulfill what the Lord commanded to be done. Do you see that? Now look back in Exodus chapter 28. This was the command that was given. Exodus 28 verse number 1. He says, And take thou unto thee Aaron thy brother and his sons with him from among the children of Israel, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. Even Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar, Aaron's sons. So I want to look at the priesthood tonight. And uh, as we looked at last night, a call to sacrifice. Tonight I want us to look at a call to service. The Lord was calling them to serve Him. And just as He called them to serve Him, He calls each and every one of us to serve Him as well. And it's part of fellowship. And so let's pray and ask the Lord to guide us in the truth tonight. Heavenly Father, thank you again for your blessings upon us, your love, your grace. Thank you for your precious word. Lord, we're so thankful that it never changes because it doesn't have to. It's preserved perfectly for us. And Lord, we have complete confidence when we open this book, we read these words, that these are in truth the words of God. And Lord, thank you for uh, that precious gift. And Lord, you've, you've told us in your word that to whom much is given, much is required. And Lord, you have given us so much in this Holy Bible. Lord, I pray that we'd never consider any part of your word to be unimportant or not profitable. Lord, I pray that we would glean from every page that which you have for us. And Lord, may we make it our life's purpose and our life's goal to know your word so that we can know you. Lord, I pray that you would help us tonight as we look at the priesthood just as much as we can in the time that we have allotted. Lord, guide us into the truth that we need to hear tonight. Father, as always, if someone here is unsaved, Lord, I pray that you would help them to see that there's a great high priest that has gone into the Holy of Holies, that his blood has been applied and the sacrifice has been made and a holy God has been satisfied and their sins can be forgiven. They can have eternal life. Lord, I pray that you would save that soul. Lord, I pray that you would revive us as your people. Help us, dear God, to appreciate all that, you, uh, all that you've done for us, all that you are, and, and the way that you've made it so that we can enter into that holiest place of all, that we can enter into the throne room of an almighty God and fellowship with you. God, I pray that our hearts would be stirred by that thought tonight. Lord, may in everything, may Jesus Christ be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. When we think of the priesthood, there's four words. For me, there's four words that help me to kind of get a grasp of the, of the priesthood. And, uh, and I want to give them to you just briefly tonight as we, as we begin to look at the priesthood. Uh, the first word is the word uh, introduction. And uh, the priesthood served as a, really, as, as a way for the, the people to know God. They were introducing God to the people. 
And then uh, they were representing God to the people. And then the word instruction. They were also given the task of teaching the people the word of God. And so there's introduction of God to the people, and then there's instruction uh, of the people, uh, uh, instructing the people of God to teach. Then the word intercession. And to intercede is to go on behalf of another to the other party. And so a big part of the priest's job was to intercede on behalf of the people for God. And, um, and so the word intercession. And uh, that's where we get our idea of prayer. And then the word invocation. That is to bless. That is uh, the people. Uh, this, this calling of the, of the uh, Levitical priesthood to bless the people, to be a blessing to the nation. And I think that's one thing that we overlook many times when we look at the law. We forget that it was given as a blessing to the people. But really, what you can take all of these words and all of these ideas, and you can bring it down to one word, and that is service. The priesthood was to serve God by serving the people. And so... Uh, the, this, this call to service begins in the book of Leviticus. We, we see this call of the priesthood beginning in chapter 8. Now, uh, the first seven chapters really deal with the offerings. Now, the next three chapters will primarily deal with the priesthood. Leviticus 8, 9, and 10. And it's a, it's a, it's a call to service, and it follows a call to sacrifice. Now, I was thinking about this. And I was thinking about most of the time when I think of the Christian life and I think of serving God, I think that, uh, you know, you, you, you learn to serve God and as you serve God more, then God brings you to a place of sacrifice in your life and it's kind of a progression. But, you know, I think that's backwards. You don't serve God and as you grow in service, then you reach a place of sacrifice. I believe that Really, sacrifice comes first. If, if you're serving without sacrifice, then your labor is in vain. Our service should come from the fact that we are, our hearts are devoted to God and our all has been offered to God on the altar. As we, as we come to a place of sacrifice in our life, the natural next step for the believer is to find a place to serve God. And so, and so the priesthood here deals with this service of God. And uh, many times throughout uh, the law, when the Lord talks about the priesthood, He talks about them ministering and serving. And you know, the word minister uh, really has the same idea as servant. In our day today, you know, we think of ministers, and, and uh, especially up in Canada where our home has been for the last 15 years or so, we have the prime minister. And that's looked at as a place of honor. That's the highest office in the land. But, you know, I think they've lost the whole concept of what minister means. Because instead of serving the people, the people are serving them. But uh, the ministry is service. The ministry is taking on uh, this, this mantle of service, serving God and serving the people. This is the divine path to fellowship with God. From the sacrifice, service comes forth. 
And when we look at the, the priesthood here, and we consider this service that they rendered to the Lord and that they were called to do, these chapters kind of uh, give us an outline, a brief uh, summary of what the, of what the uh, calling uh, to service was for the, for the priest. In chapter 8, we see the preparation for service. All of these things are, are taking place, and we're going to look at them in, in detail. That's going to be the bulk of our message tonight. But this preparation for service. And then chapter 9 deals with the power for service. And, uh, and, and, and you realize that as they prepare to serve God, and they, they go through the consecration process, and that now they're coming to the, the, the sacrifice and the offering where they will accept, uh, uh, they, will, they will offer their offering to the Lord to be accepted by Him, to serve Him. In the end of chapter 9, uh, this is what we read. It says in verse 23, it says, And Moses and Aaron, well, back look at uh, chapter uh, 22. Aaron lifted up his hand toward the people and blessed them and came down from the offering of the sin offering and the burnt offering and peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of the congregation and came out and blessed the people for the glory of the Lord appeared unto all the people and there came a fire out from before the Lord and consumed upon the altar the burnt offering and the fat, which when all the people saw, they shouted and fell on their faces. So as they're offering these offerings to the Lord, to, to set these men aside for the office of the priesthood, God shows that the power of this office does not lie in the men. It lies in Him. And he, he showcases his power and his acceptance by sending fire down upon the altars and consuming the sacrifices that were offered. And it's a great reminder to us who are in ministry. You say, well, that's just you and the pastors. No, that's every one of us. If you're saved, you've been made a priest unto God. And, uh, and we all believe in the priesthood of, of the believer as long as we're making our own decisions. But we seem to drop that idea of the priesthood of the believer when it includes serving God. Amen. We're all priests unto God, and so we all have ministry. And what we all need to realize and be aware of and be reminded of tonight is that the power for service does not come from man. It comes from God. And, and it does not matter how long you've been in ministry. It doesn't matter how much you know the Bible. It does not matter uh, how, how many songs you know and, and how, how to, if you know how to, how to build a ministry or, 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 or work a ministry and get people to come to your church or, or be a part of your ministry. All of that is nothing without the power of God. And, and the Lord reminds them here, listen, yes, I've called you to a service and I've set you apart and you're going to be a representative for me to, uh, to the people, but remember that the power is mine. And if you try to do it in your own power, it's going to fall flat. We're reminded of this in the very next chapter. 
that the power of God comes down in chapter 9, but then you see the perversion of that service in chapter 10. In chapter 10 and verse 1, it says, And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer and put fire therein and put incense thereon and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. And there went out fire from the Lord. Well, that's a good thing, isn't it? Well, it was in chapter 9. Let's keep reading. There went out fire from the Lord and devoured them. And they died before the Lord. Then Moses said unto Aaron, This is it that the Lord spake, saying, I will be sanctified in them that come nigh me. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. You know what we find in chapter 10? We find that there were some priests that perverted the service of God and they brought the wrath of God upon themselves. Let's not forget that the service of God is a holy calling. And we need to never, never insert our will in the work of God. These men, they realized too late that their own idea of service was not going to fly with God. Now, you know, when I read this passage and I think of I think of what passes as church these days. I want to talk about strange fire. We got a lot of strange fire going on in so-called churches these days. And and I, I saw one video of, of supposed baptism service. And and the the preacher who's up there in jeans with, you know, skinny jeans with holes blown out of them. Because like somebody shot him with a shotgun. And a skin-tight T-shirt. He's up there baptizing. And he's making a big production of it. You know, he's, he's walking up and he's clotheslining them in. He's dunking them in. And the crowd's going crazy. Because that's what it is. It's a crowd. It's not a congregation. Making a, a, a mockery of the church of God, of the service of God. Strange fire. These men, they offer this strange fire, and they did it before the Lord. But they didn't do it under the Lord. Well, we better be careful when we... When we get involved in ministry, and, and that, that, that doesn't just mean what takes place up on this platform. Anything we're doing in the name of God, we better make sure that our hearts are pure before the Lord and that we're doing it not just before the Lord, but unto the Lord. They perverted the service of God, and their offering was not acceptable. 
and, uh, and, and God killed them with that fire. You say, well, God doesn't do that these days. Well, there is a place called the lake of fire. And people go into it every day, including false prophets. And listen, I, I wouldn't want to go to any part of the lake of fire. But I sure wouldn't want to go to that part of the lake of fire reserved for false prophets who led people astray, preaching a false gospel and perverting the service of the Lord. So there's this, this call to service, and, um, and we, we kind of get an overview of it here in Leviticus. But I want to go back just for a little while and look at this preparation for service. Because we, listen, when we look at the things of God, God is very detailed. He's very specific. There, there are things, He does not just call someone to service and then just send them on their merry way without some guidance, without imparting some understanding so that they can better serve the Lord and preparing them to be uh, a servant of the Lord. And in chapter 8, there's this preparation for service that takes place. Aaron is the brother of Moses. Uh, he has been with Moses longer than anyone else. And, uh, and God, uh, first of all, we see God choosing Aaron and his sons uh, to, to serve him. And uh, we saw it in, in Exodus 28. He names them by name. Here in Leviticus chapter 8, this is what he says. The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, verse 2, Take. Take Aaron and his sons with him. And so there's this choosing that takes, that takes place. God has a desire for Aaron and his sons to serve specifically in the place of the priesthood. And you know, as specific as God was with Aaron, I believe God is just as specific with us. Now, it, it, there should not be any hesitation. If I was to ask you tonight, how are you serving the Lord? How are you serving God? You shouldn't say, well, uh, mm, uh, well, uh. Why? Because God has a specific goal and a specific call for each and every one of us. He wants you to be in service to Him. And He deserves it. Amen? If you don't know how you're serving God, find a way to serve God and get busy. Amen? God will guide you. He'll show you. If you want to know His will, He wants you to know His will more than you do. And so there's this choosing that takes place. God tells Moses, I want Aaron and his sons to, to, to serve me, to minister unto me in the priest's office. There's a choosing. Then there's a cleansing. Look at verse number 6. And Moses brought Aaron and his sons and washed them with water. This is a very important part of serving God, and it's something you say, well, I know all this stuff already. I know, but, but it's God's Word. We need to be reminded if we are going to be a vessel fit for the Master's use, we are going to have to be purged from uncleanness. We cannot be involved in filth of this world, have a filthy mind, have a filthy life, have a filthy heart, and expect God to use us. 
no more than you would want to use a dirty dish. So the Lord wants us to be clean. You say, well, you know, I, I've tried to be clean and I, I just keep getting dirty. Well, you know what happens? You know what happens if you stay in the Word of God? The Word of God will cleanse you. There, there's, there's a law in Leviticus chapter 11, and I don't have time to preach it all tonight, but there's this law, the, the law of the uncleanness, the, the things they were not to eat, the unclean food. And then the second part of the chapter deals with unclean things that they weren't to touch. And, 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 and there's a whole list of things. And uh, 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 animals, dead, uh, dead animals, their carcasses, whatever that thing touched, it defiled. And then it goes down through there and it says, unless it fall into a pit or a fountain wherein there is plenty of water. If it falls into that, it doesn't make that unclean. Everything else gets unclean. Any vessel, any person, any part of clothes, anything, everything else is unclean. But if it falls, if that, if that carcass fell into a pit or a fountain where there was plenty of water, it did not defile it. Now, you know what? We live in a dirty world. There's filth and dirt all around us. We're, we're, we're dragging around the flesh. That's filthy in itself. Amen? Well, not me. Well, just, you know, go without a shower two or three days. You know why we stink? Because we're corrupt. And, and there's filth all around us. You say, how are we going to stay clean? Just get plenty of water. Stay hydrated. Amen? And so you say, well, how am I going to stay clean in this dirty world? How am, as a priest of God, how am I going to be clean? Stay in the Word of God. Let the Word of God cleanse your heart. There's a cleansing that has to take place. You know, I believe in some way, shape, or form, we ought to be washing every day. Amen? Several times a day. You ought to wash your hands. Amen? The Bible says cleanse your hands, you sinners. You ought to wash your hands. You ought to wash your body. Amen? You ought to wash out your innards. Get plenty of water. And, uh, and, and much more so, we need to stay in this book so that it can cleanse us spiritually. These, these men, they, they were being set aside for service, but they had to be clean. They had to be clean. There was a choosing, there was a cleansing. Then there was a covering. Now, if you notice this, look at verse number 7. It says, and he put upon him the coat and girded him with a girdle, and clothed him with a robe, and put the ephod upon him. And he girded him with the curious girdle of the ephod, and bound it unto him therewith. So there was specific clothing that the priest had to wear. Who'd have thunk it? God's interested in what we wear. We don't have to get quiet here, Amen. God has something to say about clothing. 
He said, well, I don't think it's a big deal. It's been a big deal since the Garden of Eden. Because man said, well, this looks pretty good. God said, nah, that won't do. Isn't that right? We'll just sew together some fig leaves. And God should just be happy with us that we're even trying. That's the idea that is being pushed upon us by modern Christianity. Well, God should just be happy that I'm trying. No, God is picky. And he can be because he makes the rules. Amen. Well, I don't understand why. I don't understand everything what God says, but if he says it, that's good enough. Amen. I'll be good enough for us. He said, these priests are coming to minister and they have to be dressed a certain way. Now, why is that? And you look at their, their covering. The covering is just, I mean, these priests, we're talking about the Middle East, okay? These priests were covered from head to foot. They're covered in, in clothing. And, 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 and God was even specific about the type of clothing. Uh, he wanted them, when they went in the holy place, they had to be in linen, not in wool. He said, I want you sweating in there. That's what he said. So I want you to wear linen and not wool. But even in linen, they're, they're covered head to foot. It would have been much more comfortable for them to maybe be dressed in a little less, maybe something not so heavy or something so covering. But God said, no, this is the way that I want you to serve me. Now, I, I, know, I, I know that we're, we're New Testament believers. We're not under the law. We're under grace. But you know the grace of God teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts. They say, that's just dealing with the heart. I beg to differ. You know, you know what we'd say? Somebody came in here dressed in skimpy clothing. We'd say, well, that's ungodly. I hope we would. God wouldn't dress like that. That's what ungodly means. Something God wouldn't do. Say, so what are you saying, preacher? I'm saying that if we want to offer service to God, we ought to understand that God is concerned with every area of our life and he has an opinion about everything. Amen. Amen. Well, it's not spelled out exactly, and so you're just trying to put me under the law. No. Remember what we said about the law, that God, God didn't give the law to control their lives. He gave the law to guide them and to enrich them. He gave the law so they would know how to fellowship with him. And so there's this covering that, that covers the priest. When he goes in to do the service of God, you say, what's the big deal about this? The big deal is when he goes in to do the service of God, God doesn't want any part of flesh being visible. That, that, that man who is at his core unholy, is trying to enter into a holy place 
and be presentable to a holy God and be acceptable in his presentation and in his, and in his offering to a holy God. And God says, listen, if you're going to come in here, you're going to have to cover up flesh. He clothed them. But notice the clothing was not the only covering. And please notice this. So important to see. Look down in verse 12. And he poured of the anointing oil upon Aaron's head and anointed him to sanctify him. You know, it wasn't just the, the, the clothing that covered Aaron. It was the anointing that covered him. The anointing. You say, what do you mean it covered him? Well, don't you remember in, in Psalm 133 where he's talking about the anointing of Aaron and that oil running down his head and getting all down into his beard? And he's saying it's a beautiful thing, that covering, and it's a picture of unity among brethren. You know what unity does? It covers, covers a lot of flaws, doesn't it? It's a beautiful thing to God. And he compares that to that anointing. When Aaron went before the Lord, he was not just covered with the, with the clothing, but he was covered with the anointing. Because without that anointing, he would not be acceptable to God. Now, he could have the clothing and not the, not the anointing. He wouldn't be acceptable. He could have the anointing and not the clothing. Guess what? He wouldn't be acceptable. And when we look at the clothing, we look at the anointing, to me it pictures, listen, you, you have to do things according to the will of God and the word of God if you expect your service to be acceptable. You have to keep the standard high. But that in itself is not enough. Listen, I, I got lots of friends, their standards are higher than mine, but God's nowhere near them because they've made their standards the, the, the essence of their fellowship with God. And, and, the, and the, the, it's, it's really their, their entire relationship with God and their standing before God, they're basing it on what they're doing, their standards, their convictions, and the anointing of the Holy Spirit is nowhere near them. That's Phariseeism. But then you got a whole other crowd over here. And they, 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 they look down on the Pharisees and they say, well, you know, you just make it all about the outward and all about the outward. And, and we have grown... And now we realize God doesn't care about the outward. It's only about the inward. Because we have this verse that we've lifted from its context that says that God, that man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looketh on the heart. That verse doesn't say man cares about the outward but, and God only cares about the inward. It doesn't say that. You know what it says? It says God sees stuff we can't see. 
And so they're over here and they're saying, well, well, God doesn't care anything about all that stuff. He just wants to make sure that we have a good heart. And so they're all about the anointing. But they couldn't care less about God's standards. The proper work of the priesthood balances between, embraces both, understands that I cannot approach God any way I want to and expect my service to be acceptable to God. And so there are certain standards and rules that I'm going to keep, not to show everybody how holy I am, but to please God. But I also realize that I could do everything right. I could dot every I right, cross every T right, and be proud and full of myself and, 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 and miss the anointing of the Holy Ghost and my service will not be acceptable just as much as the Libertines' service is not acceptable. That covering is in two parts. It's in holding the standard that God's giving us, but also realizing that without the touch and power and anointing of God, it's not going to be acceptable. This priest, he's, he, he has to be covered because God doesn't want any flesh involved, any fleshly spirit, any, 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 any fleshly glory to usurp what belongs only to him. There's this covering. Now, this is all part of what the scripture calls consecration. And we see it here in our, in our, our chapter. He mentions in verse 22, the ram of consecration. Verse 28, he mentions there were consecrations for a sweet savor. Verse 29, again, he references the ram of consecration. Verse 31, he talks about the basket of consecrations. And look at verse 33. It says, And ye shall not go out of the door of the tabernacle of the congregation in seven days until the days of your consecration be at an end. For seven days shall he consecrate you. So this consecration, you say, well, what does that mean exactly? I had to look it up because I didn't know exactly what it meant. Consecration is the act or ceremony of separating from a common to a sacred use or of devoting and dedicating a person or thing to the service and worship of God by certain rites. So the, the, this, what we're reading in chapter 8 is consecration. It's the process of consecration. God said, you want to serve me in the priesthood? Well, here's what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to, you're going to, have to accept my calling, my choosing of you. You're going to have to be cleansed. You're going to have to be covered. You're going to have to present yourself to me. You're going to have to be anointed. All of this is part of the ceremony. Listen, the ceremony of consecration. Now, as I continued reading, this is what really stood out to me. Look what uh, Webster's 1828 continues to say about the word consecration. Consecration does not make a person or thing really holy. 
but declares it to be sacred, that is, devoted to God or to divine service. Say, so what does that mean? That means this ceremony that they're going through in Leviticus 8 is only a ceremony. What do you mean? I mean, them coming out from among the congregation, them, them being cleansed, them being covered and being anointed and being set apart. We read there in verse 33, they spent seven days in the tabernacle. They were not allowed to come out for seven days. That was a time of consecration. But it was just the ceremony. What do you mean, preacher? Does that mean they weren't, they, weren't, uh, they weren't truly consecrated? They weren't truly set apart? Well, let's, let's remember, when the Lord called them to this service, He called Aaron, He called Nadab and Abihu, and He called Eleazar, and He called Ithamar. And all five of them go through this process. All five of, uh, of them go through every part of this process. And at the end, the Lord says, okay, you five, you are devoted to a sacred use. You five, we have gone through this process of consecration, and now you are declared to be consecrated unto me. And yet we know that two of these men, and, and Aaron wasn't, Real, doing real great himself. We don't know a whole lot about the other two, but we know for sure Nadab and Abihu, though they may have been consecrated on the outside, were not holy on the inside. Because they're going to enter into that tabernacle against the law of God. They are going to offer strange fire against the law of God. And they're going to do it in their rebellion and in their own willfulness. You say, well, I think they were sincere. They, they just, they, they just uh, you know, they, they just thought God would accept them the way they were. Remember what Jesus said. If you love me, keep my commandments. These men did not love God. Now, I think they loved the ministry. I think they loved the ministry. I think they thought, man... Look, look what we get to do. Other people don't get to do this. We're five out of probably two million. We are special. We are something. You know what we better be careful in? In ministry, any ministry, we better never think too highly of ourselves. Well, look, look at me. Look what I can do. Look what people say about me. Listen to what they say and and and. Boy, everybody just thinks the best of me. You better be careful. They loved the ministry, but they didn't love God. 
and these two men that had been that had gone through this process of consecration, they were checking all the boxes. In their hearts, they were rebels against God, and it was just a matter of time before it showed. I'm saying that this call to service is not a call. Listen, it's not a call to outward performance. It's a call to fellowship. That's what it is. It's a call to dwell near God. It's a call to communion. And the service should not, it should not flow from a desire of anything else than to serve God, to be in fellowship with Him, to please Him. Look with me back in Exodus 28. Look at Exodus 28. There, there's an important phrase. All through the call of God to Aaron and his sons, to the priesthood, there's this important phrase that is mentioned over and over and over and over again. And we read it in Exodus 28, in verse 1. He said, And take thou unto thee Aaron thy brother and his sons with him from among the children of Israel, now watch this, that he may minister unto who? Me. Now here's, here's what we look at. We look at the ministry, and I've heard it said several times, well, the ministry is people. And I understand what, what we're saying when we say that, but let's not get the wrong idea. That's like when people say, well, we got the friends here to sing for us. We're not singing for you. We're singing for him. Now, hopefully, you get a blessing and, and your heart is moved to sing to him too. Well, Brother Thread's going to come preach for us. I'm not preaching for you. There's too many preachers that are preaching for you. Take Aaron and his sons that they may minister unto me. You know the best thing? The best piece of advice I could give to any person in any ministry is minister to God in your ministry. Minister to God. You know, when you're ministering to God, then it doesn't matter who sees your ministry, who hears your ministry. You say, well, my ministry is vacuuming. We hear your ministry. Amen? But it doesn't matter. Most people don't like hearing the ministry of vacuuming. But if you're doing it to the Lord, that's all that matters. Do all things unto the Lord, whether you eat or drink or whatsoever you do. Do all to the glory of God. Minister unto me. Look at it. It's all through here. He says it in, in, in Exodus 20, 28 verse 1. He says it again 
the end of verse 3, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. Verse 4, the end of the verse, minister unto me in the priest's office. Uh, Verse number 41, he says, sanctify them that they may minister unto me. 29 verse 1, this is the thing that thou shalt do unto them to hallow them, to minister unto me. He says it in the... In, in chapter 29, what we read last night, in verse 44, I will sanctify the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar. I will sanctify also both Aaron and his sons to minister to me. And, and we keep going. He just keeps saying it. Minister to me. How many of us look at it? We say, well, what kind of ministry do you have? Well, I have a ministry to the deaf. I have a ministry to the nursing home. I have a ministry uh, to local churches. I have, I, have a, I, I have a ministry to people as the pastor. Listen, first and foremost, it's a ministry to God. Listen, when you're ministering to God, it doesn't matter how many people are coming or how many people are going. It doesn't matter if the offerings are up or down. It doesn't matter whether people believe you're called or not called. It doesn't matter what the brethren say. The only thing that matters is, does this please God? We were created for His pleasure, not our own. That's why so many people are miserable, because they're trying to live to bring pleasure to themselves. And we're not built that way. God didn't make us for that. We're going against the blueprints. God built you to please Him. And so you'll only feel, feel fulfilled and be, be fulfilled when you, when you live for Him. The same goes for our ministry. Our first ministry is to the Lord. And if you can lay your head on your pillow at night and know that the Lord is pleased with you, nothing else matters. Listen. You say, that sounds like a too, too big of a blanket statement. I'm telling you, it is 100% the gospel truth. If your service is for God, and it's 100% for God, then you can be pleased in your heart and soul if you know he's pleased. And you say, what about the people? That sounds like you're going to, you know, the people are going to suffer. Oh, no, 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 no. Well, my family, my family's going to be neglected if I put God before my family. No, not at all. The people, your family, they're all going to benefit. They're all going to be so much better off if you're living for God instead of living for self. Minister to me, that's what the Lord says. Minister to me. Listen, Mama, you're taking care of those babies. Seems to be lots of babies around here. That's good. You can probably tell I don't have anything against that. You're taking care of those babies. I know you're doing it for that baby, but do it for Jesus. Cleaning house, working the job, leading the singing. Preaching on the street. 
ministry has a lot of different avenues. But all the goals of every ministry and purpose should be to glorify God, to minister to Him, sing to Him. It's a beautiful thing when I come across somebody, it happens from time to time in the churches we're at, and I'll find somebody in the church building all by themselves. Singing to the Lord. Then you know it's not for anybody else, for sure. Because nobody else, they're not even aware that anybody else is around. Just singing to the Lord. Y'all just do that sometime. Just get your songbook out. Say, Lord, I've got a song in my heart. You know it's there because you put it there. And I want to sing to you. Now, some of now maybe you say, "Well, I can't sing." Well, that's that's when you can be the biggest blessing to everybody. Well, it's just you and the Lord, Amen. <laughs> sing to Him. Do what you do for Him, and then it will not matter what anybody else thinks or says or does, because you're doing it for Him. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time we could have in your word. And Lord, there's much about the priesthood we did not look at tonight. But God, I pray that our hearts have been stirred in our ministry that we would minister unto you. That we would do our best to follow your commands. That our vessel would be clean. That we would be covered not, not just with the outward coverings. and Modest apparel. But Lord that we'd also be covered by the filling and the anointing of your spirit. That we would be consecrated to you not just on the outside, but on the inside. That what we do would be to bring glory and honor to you. Lord, we know that in that service, in that service, there's a wonderful fellowship. God, may we experience it by your grace. In Jesus' name I pray.